0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Black Excellence in Literature. So we do appreciate you joining us today. I would like to take the time to introduce our speaker today, Dr. Amani Wazwaz. Amani Wazwaz earned a doctorate from Loyola University. During her doctoral studies, her areas of specialty were cultural studies and 19th and 20th century American literature in multicultural contexts. For her dissertation, She wrote about the role in body and pain of African-American literature in the 20th century in American literature. At Moraine Valley, she teaches composition, African-American literature, American literature, and non-Western literature. She has a great interest in African-American literature, world literature, American literature, writing and visual arts. Her research interests center around the writings of Frederick Douglass. Thank you, Dr. Amani Okay.
1: Thank you so much, Tiana. Everybody, can you hear me? Okay, everybody welcome to celebrating excellence in black literature. I would like to first start out with the following. When Africans were being kidnapped from Africa, slaveholders made sure that people from different nation states, from different nation tribes, would not be in close contact with one another when they were being forced onto the ship. Why is that class? Why do you think that is the case? Why did they make sure they would not be on the ship with one another? People who spoke the same language. What is it? You can't form a plan, exactly. You cannot form a plan. They tried their best to get rid of communication between them. They tried their best to make sure they would not learn, be able to learn to read or write the new language. Reading and writing is extremely significant to African American community and African American culture. Despite all of these hardships, African Americans survived and thrived, and they did wonders with the written word and with the spoken word, which is why today we're going to be looking at particular quotes and excerpts from great writers such as Toni Morrison, Octavia Butler, Michelle Alexander. Who's this gentleman? Muhammad Muhammad Ali. Who's this gentleman? Who's this woman? Who's he? Ralph Ellison and Ella Baker. These writers, activists, thinkers, did wonders with the written word and the spoken word. In this program, we're going to look at four different topics that these writers and great thinkers discussed in their writing, in their spoken word. And these different topics are as follows. Politics and the police, self-love, unity, And we're gonna celebrate Moraine Valley's 50th anniversary by looking at the Loving versus Virginia case. To begin with, let's take a look at what Michelle Alexander has done. Michelle Alexander is a great lawyer. She studied law, she teaches law. She's also an activist. And she spent years researching and found out African-Americans continue to be oppressed and continue to be oppressed in terrifying ways. And she explained it as follows. She said, for hundreds of years, African-Americans were subjected to slavery. You had the abolitionists. You had African-Americans, African-American activists, fighting to free African Americans. And then, after slavery, we moved into another system of oppression. And that system of oppression was Jim Crow. Jim Crow laws mandated that African Americans lived in the worst side of town. You had other Americans Living on the side of town where there were paved roads, where there was comfort, education, good, strong health care. On the other side of town, where the paved roads stopped, there were dirt roads, but that was not it. Education was not quality education at all. Health care was of the worst possibility. Everything, everything African-Americans were made to live in very oppressed statuses. Civil rights movement fought a lot to get rid of these Jim Crow laws, and they did somewhat in law form, but to enact these laws was very tough. On paper, Jim Crow is dismantled, but in actuality, for people to start changing, their minds and changing their practices, it would take a long time. Michelle Alexander found out in our day and age, something else is happening right now. African-Americans continue to be oppressed. This time, It's a different kind of Jim Crow. Instead of African-Americans being put on the dirty side of town, the town that does not have proper health care or education, now mostly African-American men with any kind of wrongdoing that other men of other races may be forgiven, they are not as forgiven. This is now the new form of oppression. And the problem is some people don't believe that this mass incarceration of African-Americans is the new kind of slavery, is the new kind of Jim Crow. This is tough for some people to believe that it exists. And this is a real problem. Michelle Alexander found out that, in fact, There are so many African-American men behind bars, more than there were African-Americans in slavery. Now, I would like Elizabeth to please read some excerpts from Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow.
2: Arguably, the most important parallel between mass incarceration and Jim Crow is that both have served to define the meaning and significance of race in America. Indeed, a primary function of any racial case system is to define the meaning of race in its time. Slavery defined what it was meant to be black, a slave, and Jim Crow defined what it meant to be black, a second-class citizen. Today, mass incarceration defines the meaning of blackness in America. Black people, especially black men, are criminals. That is what it means to be black. Today, there are more African Americans under correctional control, in prison or jail, on probation or parole, than were enslaved in 1850, a decade before the Civil War began. There are millions of African Americans now cycling in and out of prisons and jails or under correctional control. In major American cities today, More than half of working age of African-American men are either under correctional control or branded felons and are thus subject to legalized discrimination for the rest of their lives.
1: Okay, Thank you, Elizabeth. Let's discuss this. How many of you have known of these facts before? How many of you have known these facts before? A show of hands, please. A show of hands. I see roughly a third of the audience. For how many of you is this information new? For how many of you is this information new? A show of hands, please. Okay. And then I've got another third with one third not voting. Then, how do you feel about what you've heard? What are your thoughts and feelings about this? Your thoughts and feelings. Mass incarceration is the new Jim Crow. It's the new form of slavery. It's the new form of oppression. What are your thoughts and feelings that it continues? Slavery continues in our country, but in a different way. Brandon.
3: It's upsetting because it's like, no matter, like even if you're like a small time offender, you're still gonna be persecuted to the highest extent of law, versus somebody who's the same age as you different race. right?
1: Right. Okay. Brandon says it is very upsetting. Okay. Somebody, somebody the same age, a different race, has a better chance of being forgiven than an African American male. Okay. It is definitely very upsetting. Any other thoughts and feelings? Any other thoughts and feelings? Gentlemen in the back, please. Okay, let me open it up to our audience. What do you think would be the solution to fix this? What would be the solution to fix this? What do you think a possible solution or possible solutions to fix this? Gentlemen in the back.
4: I don't know, probably voting for your elected officials and holding them accountable for who you vote for. What is it? Vote for your elected officials so hold them accountable for who you vote for.
1: Okay, all right. Okay, so be careful for who you vote for, be accountable for it. That's a very strong way to attempt to get rid of this. What other methods do you think there might be to resolve this issue or to begin to get rid of it? Mm-hmm. <coughs> yes. Um, teach children, the children,
4: teach them Can we use the, the microphone? Okay.
5: We have to start with teaching our children that there is no difference between any races. And uh, when they grow up, they grow up healthy thinking. You know, they think right. Right. So we won't see these issues
1: anymore. Okay, I hear you. From the very beginning, from the very start, teach children to respect all and everybody in the hope that they grow up. And they don't imprison other people. They don't discriminate against other people. How many of you have witnessed another form of discrimination or experienced a form of discrimination yourself? How many of you have a show of hands, a show of hands, witnessed it or experienced it? Can you please care to share? Something beside this, beside this, or maybe a part of this. Care to share, anybody? Okay, Carrington. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Um. There
6: was a situation one time where um, I was at work and I had a headache so I went to go get some pain meds and I had just seen the lady, she was a white lady, she gave someone else that worked there Um, some pain meds and then when I get to the counter I had gone there before to get pain meds so she's like oh well we have to be reimbursed for it there's a bunch of problems so me being me black lives matter and I walked away like that's just it like how can you give you know they're both pain meds but how can you give it to one person willingly and then try to have like stipulations when it's another person or a person of a different race or a different culture or different sex, you know, you can't do that. So that's just how I feel like, it's still very prevalent today, like people try to get away with more than they can, but that's only up to who you're trying to get o- get away with. Like if you're trying to pull some racist or discrimination against the wrong person, you're gonna hear about yourself. Right. Just touch that.
1: Okay, so a difference, you were treated differently than somebody else was. Gentleman in the back, you also wanted to share an incident.
4: I don't know, I just think the common thing is like the music you listen to, I don't think you should be judged on the music you listen to. I mean like, you know Joshua Davis? For playing loud music got murdered, so I don't think like just to listen to loud music should be a reason why you should die and judge on your character.
1: All right. So being, being judged for the music that you listen to, being uh, treated differently. You know, one person from another race was readily given the medicine, whereas where my student asked for the same medicine, and there were all these different complications. Would anybody else care to share about different incidents that they have experienced, different incidents where they have been discriminated against?
4: Uh, I wear a do rag just because I wear a do rag don't make me a thug Just because okay. I wear baggy pants don 't make me a thug.
1: So all right Just because okay. I wear a hoodie
4: don't make me a threat, so yeah
1: okay, the style of dress, the style of dress, the music that you listen listen to, the hope is that you would not be judged for it. same gentleman in the back, you asked what are what are possible solutions to get out of this? horrific fact and Michelle Alexander has the following to say she says our nation declared a war on people trapped in racially segregated ghettos just at the moment their economies had collapsed rather than providing community investment so this is one solution that she has for those in the higher powers to provide community investment. Quality education, quality education. Job training, when work disappeared. Job training, give people jobs. Invest in communities that are struggling. Of course, those communities are suffering from serious crime and dysfunction today. Did we expect otherwise, she says. Did we think miraculously they would survive? So for the gentleman in the back, these are some of the suggestions that she's making for a possible solution, yes.
4: I don't know, like we all in Rain Valley, I'm pretty sure we all take, a <clears throat> don't take advantage of the school we go to. You know, for me, I went to Candy King for a semester and I wonder why does Kenny King look much like a second world country compared to Moraine Valley? And we're in the same city. OK. All right,
1: if I, if I hear you right, if I am not mistaken, take advantage for those African-American students who are here at Moraine Valley. Take advantage of the, of the education that you have here. You're already here. It is a quality education. Take advantage of it. Okay. Right wholeheartedly agree with that. I'm gonna move ahead to the next very significant topic. Mass incarceration. These daily acts of racism and discrimination, they're very, very tough as it is. What you've got the world is basically ready to imprison young young African-American men and also women for doing anything That is tough as it is, but also tough is not feeling a sense of self-respect or self-love. How many of you are familiar with Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye? How many of you have read it? Okay, I've got two people in the audience. I'd like to tell my audience about what she wrote. Toni Morrison wrote The Bluest Eye. And this young African-American girl was struggling tremendously with issues of self-love. At home, she was abused. In the very first or second page, readers find out she is pregnant with her father's baby. Physical abuse. At school, her teachers dismiss her. Other students dismiss her. And she gets the sense that she is not worthy enough. She is not good enough. And what does she pray for? She prays for beauty. And in her mind, beauty is white. Beauty comes in the form of blue eyes. And Toni Morrison has this to say. It had occurred to Piccola some time ago that if her eyes were different, that is to say beautiful. She herself would be different. Everybody would love her. Teachers would adore her. She'd have good friends. If you have not read this book, I recommend that you do. It is extremely powerful. Toni Morrison shows what lack of self-love does to an individual, particularly an African-American little girl's that are surrounded by ads and by media that stress that white is right and white is beautiful. Piccola's story is very important to keep in mind. But other writers' take on self-love is also very significant as well, too. Toni Morrison, Muhammad Ali are also extremely significant. So I would like, Raven, could you please? Read for us the quotes. <laughs>
0: um,
5: Zora, Neale, Zora Neale Hertz said, sometimes I feel discriminated against, but it does not make me angry, it merely astonished me. How can any, any deny themselves the pleasure of my company is beyond me? I am an invisible man. I am a man of substance, of flesh and bone. Fiber and liquid, and I might even be said to process, possess a mind. I am invisible, understand simply, because people refuse to see me. You are your own best thing. I shook up the word, I am the greatest, I am the king of the world, I'm pretty, I'm pretty.
1: Okay, thank you so much, Raven. Okay, (laughs) now, As I was saying, we need to hear Piccola's voice. We need to hear what lack of self-love does to the person. We need to hear about the damage it does to a person, but we also need to look at other African-American writers. So we've got Zora Neale Hurston, clear and straightforward. I want to elaborate a bit more on Ralph Ellison and what he is saying here. Ralph Ellison's novel is called Invisible Man. And as he says here, he is invisible because people refuse to see him as an African-American man. And I'm speaking about his character. However, what I found to be quite interesting is this segment. Okay, indeed, I'm invisible because this is the way society sees me. But there is the stress that I am here. I'm a man of substance flesh, bone, fiber, liquid, I exist, I have a body. This is very significant to keep in mind. Toni Morrison, I wanna also elaborate more on the significance of this quote. This is coming from Toni Morrison's Beloved. How many of you have read it? How many of you have read it? Okay, got two people in the audience, that's great. Toni Morrison's Beloved, deals with the very complex relationship between two ex-slaves and the male partner tells his female partner, towards the end, you are your best thing. And this is very significant because she doubts it in the end. She says, me, me, but he tells her, and that's really significant. Muhammad Ali, how many of you have seen um where he said this during his fighting during his boxing okay during his funeral they came up with this they mentioned this i'm pretty he says i'm pretty i shook up the world how many of you agree with me these are very powerful statements how many of you agree with me from the audience okay i see a room full i want to ask you what if we take all of these beautiful words and put them inside of the mind of this individual. How do you respond? Can this be possible? Can the piccolas of the world be made to feel this way? What do you think? Take a look at this image. Is it possible for this kind of self-love to exist? I took the words of Toni Morrison Change them. I'm my own best thing. I'm pretty is coming from who? Ali. Muhammad Ali. I am of substance, flesh, bone, fiber, and liquids, Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. How can you deny yourself the pleasure of my own company, Zora Neale Hurston? Look and respond. What do you think? Is it possible? Is this possible? OK, Brandon.
3: I think it's very possible. You start to teach kids at a young age to love the skin and they really. can't be anybody else but yourself.
1: OK, begin begin early, Brandon says. Begin early and teach children to love themselves, to love the skin that they're in. Really begin early. Other thoughts? Tambra.
3: Wait, wait. <laughs> there
0: you go. Um, I think it is very possible as well, along to teaching kids at a young age, you have to constantly remind them through life because even though it might be in their minds, but through life when you constantly see people rejecting you just because of the color of your skin or the way your hair looks, it's, it's still detrimental to you, because those words might not always come, but it's, that's why it's good to always pour that into them, not just when they're young, but as we get older as well. Okay,
1: I hear you, Tambra. Begin when they're kids, Brandon said, and then Tambra says, keep, keep on going, keep on going, because as these kids are going into the world, they are picking up different messages, mixed messages, from the media, from other people. And the media and other people are dismissing their skin color and the style of their hair. So parents and loved ones should constantly be stressing, you're beautiful, you are a person of dignity and substance, constantly as they are growing. Can I have other responses, other ideas? Carrington? I think it's
6: possible now. It's very possible because we are, well, African-Americans as a culture or as a group are starting to embrace themselves because it must have somewhere down the line hit them like, okay, well, if no one's gonna love you, who's gonna love you? You have to love you. So you have to empower yourself, empower anyone that looks like you, anybody who's going through the same thing, someone with you know, the same texture of hair or who wears the same type of like hijabs or something like that you have to kind of relate to other people right. and find your strength is within yourself and then help others realize their strengths to build you know to build a better relationship and communication among like the culture and to just become overall more powerful instead of like I feel like united we stand divided we fall so I feel like if everybody can realize their potential and be around others that you know can reach their own potential then I feel like it'll be easier for everyone to start accepting African-American culture the way African-Americans already do. You know, it's, it's weird because they just made a law to discriminate against people with dreadlocks. How? If we're embracing our culture that's a hairstyle significant to us, mm-hmm. then how can you t- like discriminate, like right. legally discriminate? How is that possible? But it's like the more things like that that happen, the more we're starting to love ourselves. Like You can't break us down anymore, you know? Right.
1: right. I, I hear you. The more African Americans have suffered, the, the more they have used it as a greater wake-up call, you're saying to love themselves. But not only just themselves, but others, to look around them, to look at others that are suffering as well, too, and empower them as well. Okay. Can I have here more? More. Is this possible? How can we encourage it? How can we encourage self-love? I ask you for the next question. How can we encourage it? I've already heard, you know, we've already heard three very fascinating, interesting um, suggestions. Others from the audience, how can we encourage it? Kids, adolescents, adults, help yourself. Help others as well, too. Are there any others? Okay then let me ask you the next question. What are acts of self-empowerment you've seen? You've seen in others. What have you seen others do that is really inspiring? Acts of self-love, other things that people have done, things that we can learn from. Pause, think about it. What have you seen people do that is really uplifting? Yes.
0: You should just ignore what people say or think about you because you can't please everyone. Okay. In my opinion, just make yourself happy and do what makes you happy. Right. And just because they're not gonna stop, honestly. Like, n- there's always gonna be out of 10 people, maybe one to two per- people that are gonna make you, wanna make you feel down. Right or mess with your emotions and make you feel like they're better than you, but they're I, not. And just look at the, like the better things in life, be positive. I,
1: okay, all right, I hear you. It's, it's more like a self-talk, you know? Tell yourself, in this big, big world of ours, not everybody's gonna be satisfied, not everybody is going to approve of us, and tell ourselves, ahead of time, whether you're African-American, whether you're wearing the hijab, for example, whether you come from a marginalized group, that you're not going to listen. There's going to come a point where you're going to attempt to tune them out, and you're going to attempt to self-talk and say, I am a person who is worthy. Okay, that's a neat idea. Can I please have more? Because this is an important topic. Can I have at least one or two more suggestions? Carrington.
6: Um, I just look at every, not every person as the same, but every person is still a person, just how I am a person. So my viewpoints, my morals, and my values, I I hold dearly to myself. So when someone else has a different objective or a different viewpoint, they're going to defend their points and values just how I am. So it's like when you're communicating or trying to Get to the truth of it all. Like, I feel like you have to basically, um, like just organize what you're saying and try to put in a way for them to listen. Because if you're gonna put it in a way like, okay, well, you're not trying to listen to me, what I'm saying, I'm just gonna tell you how I feel, they're that's automatically gonna make them shut down. Right. So you have to be open when you're trying to defend a point and actually lay it out so that they can understand your message. And then, like, when you're trying to sum it up make sure that they understand what you're saying by asking a question like, okay, is that clear to you now? Am I making right. sense? What is it that you're not getting? Is this, this is what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? Where are you coming from? So for for people to do that, I feel like that will unite different you know diversities of races, but okay. amongst each other, I just feel like it does start within yourself. Like it may sound corny to like, okay, try to smile in the mirror or make, you know, post-it notes to keep yourself happy or, Do the little Superman stance, you know, two minutes a day in the morning. That (laughs) kind of helps, but it's like it sounds corny, but it's like if you start doing it yourself, you're going to become more confident, and you're going to, you know, be the stepping stone for someone else to be like, you know what, I really admire your confidence. I'm going to be like that as well. I'm going to start taking little steps, or I'm going to notice what you do to be that same person, you know.
1: Right. You know, um, um, Carrington, take a look. I mean, Muhammad Ali I shook up the world, I'm the greatest, I'm, I'm king of the world, I'm pretty, I'm pretty. I mean, yeah, some may perceive this as quote-unquote corny, but the way that he said it, he said it with so much conviction, it became famous. Everything that he said became famous when, when he passed away. They brought this up, this quote up over and over again during his funeral. Say it, smile. Say these kinds of words with so much conviction. That is really significant. Now, the young woman sitting in front of you says one method is ignore. There are constantly these people that want to put us down. Constantly. Your method is, okay. we can put your method alongside hers. Speak. Talk with them. Educate ourselves so well and then plan the way that we will talk with other people so that hopefully they will listen. You never know. Maybe they do wanna wake up and maybe their words will wake us up, okay? Yes. Okay.
7: Um, There are a couple of things I've seen um, for self-empowerment. There are three three things specifically I'm gonna speak to. One is there's been a push um, by black um media and black well i should say black actors and directors etc., for more faces of color in tv in movies because that will make a big difference mm. and when you see somebody like lupito nyong'o when you see somebody who's of a darker skin darker skin tone and their hair natural and not the characteristic when a black person was in a movie they were lighter skinned and they had long straight hair so that's been one of the pushes for self empowerment. Okay, and speaking of the hair, there's been a movement as well for natural hair. Right. You know, um, for me personally, going doing locks was a self empowerment movement. And then finally, the Black Lives Matter um, movement is all about self empowerment. It's all about trying to um, take back or get the rights or get equality for right. people of color. So those are some of the self empowerment movements or some of the things. That i've been seeing
1: okay all right thank you if there are more more actors and actresses of a darker skin tone that would be very helpful i'm going to just use an example beyond our country in india now there is a push to have actors and actresses with a darker skin tone color because there has been for quite some time a push for actors, you know, to be on TV who are of a lighter skin tone. If there is more of them in our country, around the world, little kids will look around and see there are people that look like me and they are doing amazing things. I'm gonna go back to Piccola. Growing up in the 1940s, Piccola looked around. And who was in the media? Shirley Temple. Shirley Temple, the cute white girl. This was the image of beauty that she got. This was the image that she got that this is what it means to be beautiful. All around her, African-American girls were given white dolls to play with. Yet again, white beauty was reinforced in her mind. I hear what you're saying. If there are more images out there of African-Americans, people of darker skin tones doing great and amazing things, then we're going to encourage even greater love. Now, you also mentioned your hair. And you're inspiring me to ask the audience to pause for two minutes. Can you speak with one another for one or two minutes and talk about what? you have done what you have done to claim self-love and to claim cultural identity your own sense of cultural identity your own sense of self-love one or two minutes please go ahead speak with one another i don't want to see anybody silent now everybody Alan, speak with them everybody (laughs) Everybody speak with one another <laughs> too <laughs>
3: Um, and then, is a it's a separate one, but it is from it's Ella oh.
1: Baker, yeah. <laughs> okay. Stop. I do want you to share now what you've done, what you've done to proclaim your cultural heritage. I want you to stop now. What you've done to proclaim your cultural heritage, to show yourself love. Let me see a show of hands. Okay, all right. Okay, I'm going to start with Um, Tambra.
4: Microphone's coming.
0: I was basically just discussing and sharing with Ms. Skye here that um, one thing for me that's helped with self-empowerment and self-love is overcoming fear, the fear of what if, and stop thinking, like, what if people don't like this or what if people don't agree with? but just, just not letting that, you know, affect how I'm going to live because people in history, if they were so concerned with what ifs and just scared of everything, then nothing would have ever got accomplished.
1: Okay. I, I hear you. Stop. D- do, do what you need to do. Speak. Speak what's on your mind. If you're constantly thinking, what's the other gonna, person going to think of me then none of us would get anything done. And that was your act of self-empowerment. Awesome. Young woman over here. Uh, Well, one time. Thank you.
0: I used to hide my
5: accent and um, not speak. Yeah. And probably about 10 years ago, I just let it out. And sometimes it still gets hidden, and then sometimes it still comes out. But I'm I'm accepting to it now.
1: Okay, 10 years ago. You decided, I'm going to speak the way that I speak. And, and we're human. Every now and then, we do have self-doubt. And we do pause and say, oh boy, wait a second. But overall, overall, you started speaking with your accent and you're proud of it. Who else was it that also raised their hand? Carrington. So um, OK. My self-love decisions, like,
6: I kind of was really going through, like, 2015, 2016, so for a long period of time, I didn't wear makeup, because I just wanted to embrace, like, how I felt. Like, I would feel kind of funny if, like, I wore full face of makeup, then take it off, I would look sick, and I didn't like that. So I just decided to embrace, like, how I was when I wake up, wash my face, this is how I look, you know, I'm going to accept it. And then um, in May 2010, I stopped getting relaxers for my hair, and I started going natural, and um, I recently cut a January of this... Last month, so that I could actually get my curls more defined, and I just felt like, yes, my curls are really who I am. Right. Like when you get it relaxed, you're just trying to, you know, make everybody else around you comfortable, and it's like that's not who you are. Like you're right. born natural. This is how it is. And then like I wear head wraps often because it's like um, I relate to the NDRE song, "I'm not my hair," because yeah. like I feel like I offer so much as an individual that. No matter what I look like, no matter if I have, you know, certain things or money or whatever, it doesn't take away from my character. And that's who I really am at the end of the day. And my hair is a direct reflection of like who I am. Like this is my curls. I have different things about my, you know, my characteristics that, you know, are summed up like that.
1: Okay, and beautifully summed up. I very much like what you said about for a while you wash your face and didn't put on a trace of makeup because this is how you wanted to face the world and this is how you wanted the world to see you. And then you stop getting relaxers for your hair and then let your let your curls become really defined because this is you. And you felt that, and this is where I, I loved your response. When you are comfortable in your own skin, then the world becomes comfortable with you as well too. Okay, there is a lot. <laughs> in order to feel I'm powerful, you're not only doing a service to yourself, but you're doing a service to the world and to others. Keisha? <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> uh, I kind of feel what Keratin says like about the hair and stuff because like, in the black community, if you have short hair, oh, you're bald-headed, this, that, and that. Like me, I cut off my hair three times. I just recently cut off my hair in July, and I went natural, so did Keratin. And yeah. I never seen my natural hair before, so like this is something different for me to get used to it. Right. But it is who I am, so I just tend not to care what others think about it. Good. Like it's my hair; it's not yours. You don't have to do it. So it is right. what it is.
1: Okay. I I hear you. <laughs> decided decided to embrace your hair for what it is, Keisha. Sometime you know, since you're in my class, uh, we'll take a look at Gwendolyn Brooks's poem, and she she talks about African American girls who cut their hair really short, and they talk about the empowerment they feel at feeling their head. They actually feel their head, whereas they say that if you've got long hair or a lot of hair, you're not quite in touch with your head. So we'll take a look at that poem. Raven. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
5: I feel like my empowerment comes from My ethnicity and my race, because when people look at me, all they see is black. But I'm not just black. I'm like Cuban, Haitian, Irish, Indian. And I actually had one person, you know, was like, "You're a liar. You're not all that." I was like, "You don't know what I am." So I tend to celebrate my Haitian side more, right? Because I just I love their culture. I love how they are. Yeah. Okay. I hear you right like right not and uh, not all black people are the same like no. there's different you know black right.
1: yes yes okay and another beautiful response as as well too there is the assumption of a homogenous community that um share, pretty much has the same ethnicity and that is not true and for you you're saying You celebrate your Haitian side so much. You are African-American, you're Haitian, you're Cuban, you're Irish as well too. You are a a rich mix of cultures and you love that. Yes. Clifton.
8: Um, I would have to say self-empowerment has to do with a lot of embracing your own pain from your history yeah. And turning your pain into like a power to change others. And also, before you can <coughs> empower yourself, you have to um, change yourself in order to change others okay. and also represent possibility and ideas for others and inspire others, you know, right. for betterment of a community as itself. Okay.
1: Embrace your pain. Embrace the pain of your history. Acknowledge what your great grandparents have suffered. Acknowledge your great-grandparents or grandparents who may have fled the South and faced hardships here in the North. Embrace all, all of that, the day, everyday sufferings, and then move ahead and empower others. And Clifton, with that being said, let's move ahead to the next segment, the segment concerning unity, unity. Now, Carrington earlier said, You got to love yourself, love yourself so well, and then look around you, and look at other people who are suffering in a similar way, and reach out to them, empower others. And Clifton, you're saying the same thing as well, too. Reach out to others, unify, become united. Now, I'm going to go back and mention what I had earlier talked about on the slave ships. They did not have people of the same nation tribes, people who spoke the same languages. They tried to separate them from one another because they did not want revolts. There is a lot of strength in unity. For the Africans who were forced, unfortunately, to come into the new world, there came a law in the 17th century that they cannot be seen gathering together. They wanted to prevent that. There is power in unity. So what have African-Americans done? What have they thought? What have they done? You've got Alice Walker. She stressed the family. She said all around the world is against African-Americans. So what we have to do is make the African-American family very strong. So that's Alice Walker. Then for Frederick Douglass, what did he do? During the time when slaves were forbidden to learn to read and write, he learned to read and write. He snuck around and tricked people into teaching him how to read and write. And it wasn't just knowledge that stayed with him. He had other men and women join him on Sundays where he would teach them how to read and write. And they started reading together, and they started practicing, reading the Bible, discussing the Bible with one another. He took the knowledge and passed it on to others. And then when he ran away, it didn't stop there. He started making speeches. He spent years and years of his life making speeches to bring attention to the hardships that African-American communities were facing. And then this, this amazing, amazing woman by the name of Ella Baker, an unsung hero from the Civil Rights Movement. She wasn't all about heroes. She was all about humble leadership. Be humble, serve others, the civil rights movement, or any types of movements attempting to empower African Americans. She said, it's not about me standing up here and asking people, oh, look how great I am. It's actually me being with the people. I'm not working for the people. I am working with them to teach them to read and write. Back then in certain areas of the South, Certain parts of African-American history, like from 1865 until 1870, that history, I'm sorry, from 1860 until 1870, that history was forbidden from being taught. One of the things that they taught was black history. Read, write, but what are your rights as a citizen? What can you do? She also taught her and the student um, group that she formed, SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, they also taught social activism. Keep this in mind. Brandon is going to read for us different quotes from these different people.
3: ALICE WALKER once wrote, in the black family, love, cohesion, support, and concern are crucial. Since the racist society consistently acts to destroy the black individual the black family unit, and the black child. In his autobiography, Frederick Frederick Douglass wrote, the work of instructing my, my dear fellow slaves was the sweetest engagement with which I was ever blessed. These dear souls came to Sabbath school because they wished to learn. Their minds have been starved by their cruel masters, and I taught them because it was the delight of my soul to be doing something that looked like bettering the condition of my race. Ella Baker said, oppressed people, whatever their level of formal education, have the ability to understand and interpret the world around them, to see the world for what it is, and to move to transform it. She also wrote, I've always thought that what is needed is the development of people who are interested in not being leaders as much as developing leadership in others.
1: Okay, keep this in mind. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you. Round of applause, please. Okay. Keep this in mind. Keep what I mentioned in mind. And once again, this is what I'm going to do. Why, you and the people next to you. I want you to think about this. What can we learn from Ella Baker? What can we learn from Frederick Douglass and Alice Walker? What can we learn from them? And what else can we do in this age of mass incarceration? Can you please, in terms of now promoting unity, we talked about self-love. What about now promoting unity? How can we promote it more? How can we learn from those in the past, add our own understanding, and move forward? Take two minutes, please, you and the people around you. All of you, please. I don't want to see anybody not talking. Everybody, please. (laughs) Talk. <laughs> up to you. <laughs> okay, can I have everybody's kind attention, please? Everybody's kind attention. What ideas did you come up with? What ideas did you come up with? Okay have the microphone over for Clifton.
8: Um, I would have to say um, making more programs for people because, you know, like when people get out of jail, you know, it's really like less hope. So they'd be like, oh, wow, I don't really know what to do. So. Right also create job programs so they can, you know, find jobs quick and so like they'll be like more easily stable versus thinking like I don't have no way to support my kids or myself. And um That's it.
1: Okay. For the people getting out of jail, don't just leave them. Clifton says have job opportunities waiting for them. Have classes educational opportunities and job opportunities. Give them hope. Don't keep them stuck with the label as second-class citizens, as Michelle Alexander talks about. So this way, working together, we can help these group of people move forward. Clifton, you have other ideas?
8: Um, With the programs, um, they should also have like, of like addiction program where they have steps they should have like uh, goals set up that they have to follow through you know in order to be successful for the program to get job offers and stuff like that and like right. maybe like volunteer work and also like okay. had them like uh, mentor people in like high schools and different stuff to tell kids what they've been through and how to overcome the odds and not let brick walls stand in their way even though they was pressed against like punishment and stuff for what they did
1: okay all right have addiction programs, have programs where they are em- empowered. Uh Tam- Tambra. Okay.
5: All of the
0: people on the video will not get to hear your wisdom. <laughs> um, uh, along with what he was saying with the programs for those who are incarcerated, I feel there should be similar programs for younger people in a sense where just mentoring them, helping them. OK, basically, because when I was younger, I was in a program for young African-Americans to achieve. And they taught us how to write resumes, how to uh, prepare for job interviews, how to um, s- to properly approach situations, whether it's um, a situation of discrimination or you trying to stand out, whatever the case may be, but just training them to, um, to, be, to be more educated, basically. Educating people through, unifying people through education and love,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and not just focusing on the side of, oh, this needs to be done, that needs to be done, but also opening their minds through literature and art you know black people we're creative people we can't just sit still and be like oh this is that no we gotta move we have to learn we have to we have to be active so I, all that together really helps bring unity
1: okay programs for the incarcerated are very significant and Tamra's saying also programs for the young real concrete skills how to respond during an interview, how to answer questions in a professional manner, how to write a resume, real strong education for young African-Americans. That is very significant. Also, have programs where African-Americans know their literature and know their arts, know their, they do have a rich culture, Clifton,
8: um, I would have to say that um not so much like embrace it's it's good to embrace education, but school is not for everybody and um I think more so it should be both like educating as well as embracing other people's natural talents. Right. Far as um what okay. uh, far- the <laughs> uh, far as like
1: Okay. Cl- Clifton, I, I hear you. <laughs> Book learning is amazing. Um, Some people are great at fixing cars. Uh, A former student of mine told me about a brother of his, and he really thanks his mom and dad, because when his brother said, I'm going to go to culinary arts school, they're like, go for it. So other technical skills, other technical skills, these are very, very important in in our world. Carrington. Right. They don't know
6: where to go, like we need opportunities like that to help them
1: the way. Okay. Carrington, you're bringing up an important issue for unity. You're, you're right, and that is like a separate talk. We do need to address black-on-black violence, because if we're talking about becoming united, we also need to address that as well, too. And we also need to keep in mind that you're saying There are people trying to discredit every now and then. How do we address them? The young woman sitting in in front of you said, ignore, ignore. For everyday people, ignore. For you, earlier, you mentioned speak, and speak in an articulate and very powerful manner. But keep that in mind. There are the naysayers, and there are the people who do want to hurt. Keep that in mind so that the African-American community can achieve greater unity. I hear you. But again, black on black violence is something that we should also discuss. Raven.
5: I agree with um, Carrington, but like, to go into depth more about it, like, unity starts in the home. Like, like, you see all these black mothers, black fathers not caring. And you know, then the daughters don't care about their body, they're just, you know, with this guy who will show him any type of love and the, the young black males are turning to the streets, you know, cause thinking it's cool to be in gangs and kill each other and it's not. But, but like, as Clifton says, school is not for everybody. But at the same time, you can also find something that you're passionate about and start your own business from there. It's not always about streets and boys and, you know, destroying your body because your parents don't care. You should be better than your parents. You should want to be better than them. And parents should want their kids to not be like them, to be better than them. So like I said, unity starts in the house first. Right.
1: Okay. Very, very strong. And I want to see if somebody is going to respond to her. You agree, Raven, with Alice Walker unity starts in the family begin with the family begin with the family with parents that guide with parents that guide and direct you mention how teenagers are are vulnerable with with the promise of love they get themselves in very tough situations your hope is that teenagers young people will be better than that in situations where they find themselves, where their parents are emotionally absent, pick up, pick up themselves and become their own parents. Unfortunately, we do have, African American community does have a long history of African Americans doing that. Frederick Douglass was not sure who his father was. It may have, he may have been his slave master. He really did not know his mother. It's not an easy situation. He and other slaves created themselves by themselves. It's not easy, it's very tough. You bring up a really good point.
7: Okay, so first of all, I wanna encourage everybody, if you haven't seen the documentary 13, that you should watch it on Netflix Um, and come out on Thursday. We're doing a race and oppression um, event right here at 11 a panel but couple things one if we address black on black violence we have to address white on white violence okay we talk about black and black violence but there's as much white on white violence or more but we always have this conversation oh we should address black and black violence so there's no really you can't have those conversations the media how everything is portrayed oh black people are this black people are that we have to be careful not to feed into the stereotypes, the criminalization of black people. When we talk about unity, some of the most united people I see are people of color, people that have families around. It's not just the nuclear family where it's mother and father. They're surrounded by aunts, cousins, aunties, uncles. They may not have a lot of uncles or fathers around because as it showed, there are over 2 million people in jail. One in three black men are likely to go to jail. And it's because of drug offenses. Drugs, which marijuana is now legal, but how many of them are in jail because of marijuana? Cocaine. Crack, you get 20 times more time, well, it's 17 now, because they changed it, than for smoking pure, than for doing pure cocaine. Heroin. Heroin now is becoming a health epidemic. But heroin, which was in the black community for a long time, wasn't a health epidemic. It was something you criminalize for. So when we talk about unity, one of the first things is to really educate ourselves. Learn the reality of what's going on. See things from different perspectives. If we continue blaming um, the victims, instead of looking at how the system is designed how it is, we won't get very far. We won't accomplish what we need to accomplish. Right. And
1: Clifton? In your, okay. Anybody else? Anybody else? Raven? Uh,
5: I guess. Yeah, she is correct. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess there is white on white crimes as well, but still, it's equivalent. Like, because not only is it black on black, it's white on black. Like. We're being killed by the police. I and I don't really like to categorize us as victims. I like the term survivors okay. more because victim means you're powerless. You can't defend yourself. You can't do anything to prevent more harm to yourself. I, I, and I'm
1: not. I'm not powerless. I'm not. I'm not a victim. Okay. And I see. I, okay. I see. Don't just end the conversation about black-on-black violence. The suggestion here is also address white-on-white violence as well, too. Don't blame the victim is what I am hearing here as well, too. The African-American family, if the the parents are not emotionally there, there are aunts and there are grandparents. And for how many of us have we actually witnessed this? a lot of support from the grandparents, from aunts, from uncles. I'm going to move ahead due to time constraints. In 1967, Moraine Valley was founded. And in the effort to bring a celebration into this discussion, we looked at what happened in 1967 that was remarkable. And we found a very interesting historical incident. But before I introduce it, I would like to ask you, for how many of you are you in a relationship with somebody from a different race, or somebody that comes from a different country, somebody who is not like you, or for how many of you here do you have parents, uncles, aunts, family members who are in a relationship with or married to somebody of a different race, people who come from a different country, different parts of the world. This is like half of us in here. We're not going to have a discussion about the last part of uh, this dialogue. Instead, I will tell you about it and let you see a video. I want to tell you, in 1958, Mildred and Richard Loving got married in 1958 in the District of Columbia, and they came back home to Virginia. And when they came back home in the middle of the night, the police came for them. They came and arrested them and put them in prison because she was black, married to a white man. And so, What happened was, over the years, they fought and fought. They were disgusted with what was going on. In 1967, the court ruled in their favor. So under our Constitution, I'm going to read here, the freedom to marry or not marry a person of another race resides with the individual and cannot be infringed by the state. This is a cause for celebration. This movie is gonna come out in November. I encourage it, I'm gonna show the trailer for it. If you could please keep this in mind.